welcome to the Bottom Up Revolution podcast, where we share the stories of the Strong Towns movement in action. I'm Rachel, Program Director at Strong Towns. For today's episode, I got to talk to someone who I sincerely look up to as a mentor and a leader, and it was truly a joy. Kate Ryba is the Chief Operating Officer at Urban3, a data analytics firm that Strong Towns has been partnering with for many years. You've probably heard of them if you've been hanging out with us for any amount of time. In this conversation, Kate and I talk about the important work of Urban3, which helps cities understand their municipal finances and take charge of their financial future through powerful visualizations. But we also talk about Kate's previous role as the youngest city councilor in her hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina, her experience organizing community events and downtown revitalization efforts, and even how she helped create a new dog park in her city. Kate is dedicated to connecting people within communities who might not otherwise meet each other. She also believes in what she calls the power of fun, a belief which led her to start an annual beer and donuts run for charity, which grew to several hundred participants over the course of just a few years. And that's just one example of the many cool projects that Kate has led throughout her life. She encourages people to find the things that they care about, connect with others who share those passions, and then join in those efforts to build stronger towns. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation with Kate as much as I enjoyed having it. Kate Ryba, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It is great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be talking to you, especially after we got to actually see each other in person only last week. That was yes. awesome. That was super fun to have you here in Asheville. What did you think about the city? I really enjoyed it. I kind of wish I had had time for a longer trip because I know that there's, you know, outdoor exploration and things to do in Nashville, but I did get, I did get a good slice of the downtown at least. Yeah. You'll have to come back. Yeah. So can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of what draws you to your work of helping towns understand their finances and grow stronger? Let's see. I grew up um, in a small southern town about an hour south of Asheville, where I live now. I, you know, I really didn't understand the field of city planning actually until after college um, when I had the opportunity to work at an urban planning and urban design firm up in the Boston area. And that's when I really um, started to see the impact of um, how, you know, city design and placemaking could really change the lives of people. As I was watching folks around me at this firm, you know, design whole new waterfronts or build new housing in the Boston area. And so that's how I got, I got really excited about city planning. And that led me to go and study that myself after college. And since that time, I've had a variety of roles working in both um, nonprofits um, focused on downtown revitalization for city government um, actually, back in my hometown, I went into local politics, which was quite an experience. Um, got to work in the fun world of foundations where you get to give money away to fund uh, projects like uh, bike share programs and um, farmers markets and things like that. And found my way up to Asheville um, about six years ago and met Joe Minicosi um, from Urban 3. And he told me I really didn't want to be a planner. Um, <laughs> that really uh, money is where you can really make a difference in, in uh, all the issues that I was already interested in. 
around, you know, making more human-centered um, towns and cities. He really convinced me of that. And I've been at Urban 3 ever since. So, yeah, as you outlined there, you've had a very diverse career and you are still quite a young person. So it's really impressive to hear about all the things that you've done. Let's start with hearing more about your city council position. How did you end up deciding to run um, in, that's your hometown, right? Of Spartanburg, Correct. South Carolina? Spartanburg, yeah. South Carolina. That's right. I had worked in city government there for several years. And um, I guess I was about 29 at the time. And I did a lot of um, activism projects around um, active transportation, hosting a critical mass ride in a small southern town, which was fascinating, and you know, doing some tactical urbanism um, things. And my dad liked to joke that I was always in the newspaper about doing something weird um, <laughs> in Spartanburg because it's a small town. And um, you know, I just I, I I saw the potential in the place to you know really change and grow and. Um, I had the opportunity to run for office because the current counselor in my district, it was a district versus at large kind of setup that I considered it. And I'm really passionate about women in government and having positions of leadership in government, um, particularly because um, I think something like, you know, only 30% of uh, mayors, for example, in most towns across America are women. So um, I'm really passionate about representation. I went to women's college. I felt like I needed to step up and and live the thing that I was preaching. And so, and also the other thing that I noticed um, is that the council at the time was quite stacked with folks who were older and there's nothing wrong with that. They have great experience, but there wasn't a lot of um, talk and voices from people who had young families um, who had that younger perspective. And so I thought that was really important as well. So that's how I, how I came to the decision. And then, um, and then from there you have to actually run a campaign, which was a whole other experience unto itself. And um, I think that, you know, I had the fortune of knowing someone who had organized local political campaigns before, and she helped me a lot. Um, But I think that it's such a mysterious process for a lot of people. And, um, and that's another thing I'm really passionate about and have presented panels of elected officials at Congress and urbanism several years in a row of, of women, because I think it's, you know, a lot of times you get passionate about an issue and you want to see change in your community. The way you can do that sometimes is literally by being a policymaker. Um, But that seems like an insurmountable thing at times, I think, for for folks, because it's just not something that you're taught in school. Um, It's not something that, you know, is part of your your education, um, particularly in the public school system. You don't really learn about that. So, like I said, I had the fortune of having someone with some insights to help me. But, um, you know, I, I think that a lot of folks, um, you know, I, I'm excited that maybe at some point Strong Towns might do an academy or something to teach people how to run for office, because I think it's such um, an impactful way, obviously, to to make change from the ground up. So Yeah, I know that you had shared that idea about having a Strong Towns, you know, webcast or training or something about running for office. And I have not forgotten about it. <laughs> good. good reminder. <laughs> I have it on my list. Um, so yeah, this is a good reminder for me to get that idea going again. So then what was it like to be on the city council, especially as the youngest member? Sure. Um, well, you know, I had a lot of learning to do, even though I had been a staffer. I think that 
you know, the municipal league for the state organizes these trainings, um, which I did, you know, things like even just learning Robert's rules, which is, this, um, you know, this way that that public meetings are run and who can speak when, how you can bring a point of order. And there are all these kind of very formal ways, obviously, that, that public meetings are run that even I as a staffer had worked in that city government didn't really fully understand. So I had to get comfortable with, with that process, which was definitely, uh, it took time to, to understand the rhythms of those, those public meetings. Um, you know, I think I did have a couple of new people who came on council with me at the same time. So, and one of whom is actually running for mayor right now. Um, and I'm excited about him, him running. And so that was helpful to have some new kind of junior folks, so to speak, on, on council with me at the same time. You know, one thing that I really thought would be easier um, was creating coalitions of folks on council around issues. And, and you know this, and it's there for a reason. You know, you can't have meetings outside of council meetings with more than three councilors. So it's hard to have... Um, you have to kind of go to each person, right? And if you're really passionate, right, about, for example, um, funding the new dog park, which was something that I thought that that my town needed because when I was on the campaign trail, every neighborhood that I went to to knock on doors, no matter you know what what kind of neighborhood it was, everybody had a dog. And so I was like, we need we need a dog park. It seems like something small, and it's not a super expensive investment. But it, it can be a free kind of unifying space, right? It's like one of those third places in a community, um, which, you know, it's, it's like not your work. It's not your house. It's another place for you to meet people. So anyway, I, I thought that I had folks on board with me on council for this project. Um, and it, it took a lot more legwork than I thought to get everybody on board because people have their own agendas, of course. You know, they're representing their districts. Um, and their priorities of their their citizens in their district, um, and so, I, you know, I I wasn't the best politician, Rachel. <laughs> I didn't. I always expected uh, people to vote in favor of what was best for the whole community instead of their own um, their, either their own interests or their own constituency. You know, that that was definitely um, an eye opening for me when we were going to a vote, for example, in a meeting, and I was expecting people to vote one way, and it completely went the other way. So I had a lot of learning to do in that regard. Um, so did the dog park happen? It did. Yeah, there's a really awesome rails to trails project um, that's in my. It was in my district, and there was a a lot actually a gravel lot where the city stored old you know public works vehicles and things like that, and it was just sitting behind a fence next to this active living you know amenity. And so we were able to get it mulched and we had some volunteers actually build a shade structure and put some a water spigot in. And it really took actually some work on behalf of community volunteers to get the support for it on council and the parks and rec director. And it's, it's there. It's still, it's called the rail tail um, dog park. And, um, and it's still very active and full of dogs. And again, I think it's important to have those kinds of meeting places in your community where people from all different neighborhoods can come and congregate and have, a, you know, a time of, of hanging out with their dogs and meeting each other in a low stakes situation. So I know it was really heavily used actually during the pandemic when people had to social distance and, um, and that was one of the things they could still do, right? Mm-hmm. So do you think that you would ever run for uh, local government office again? 
You know, I don't think so. I've worked on behalf of other uh, campaigns here in Asheville, and I do some activism work around affordable housing here in town and um, have served on some public art committees. Uh, But I think that I'd rather support candidates. And also, it's really fun to be an activist on the other side. And and, and so um, I enjoy being able to advocate for an issue and speak at a planning commission meeting and be able to actually know what I'm talking about since I've had that experience of being on the other side and on, uh, you know, up on council. Um, I feel like I can be a really effective advocate for Asheville and that's what I I think I'm going to stick with that. So, yeah, I know that you are really a community organizer at heart. What are some of the projects that, that you're working on now or recently or in the past that you are really proud of? Oh, thanks. Um, let's see. One of the ones that I really loved that I did years ago um, as part of volunteer work and then part of my job for this downtown revitalization nonprofit um, in Spartanburg was this photography project called Snapshot Spartanburg. And it's very old fashioned in that we gave 100 people free uh, cameras, you know, the kind you get at a wedding, that's actual film. Um, mm. And that has 24 like disposable pic- camera. It, exactly has a 24 shots on it. And so we asked people to take pictures of their community um, and submit submit the cameras back. And then we printed every single one of them. Um, so it was about it was 1000s and 1000s of photos. Um, it could be everything from, you know, landscapes to people, all different, all different kinds of topics and just beautiful things and surprising things came out of that. But the coolest thing was we put them all up on the wall and then we had an art opening and people could, we had hundreds of people come through and kind of see Spartanburg through the different eyes of these a hundred people in the community. Um, and I thought that was a, a really great way to um, connect people with each other and also you know, showcase people's lives um, in a different way. You know, I love the actual printed photograph, which you don't really see as much anymore. So that was one I was really, I was really proud of. And um, we did it for many years. So that's so cool. And like very low budget type of initiative too, which is awesome. Yeah. We had a local photography um, store that donated their time, which was really awesome. So I wanted to also ask about the beer and donuts run because I've (laughs) I've heard you talk about this before. Um, It sounded like a really fun and kind of silly thing, but also like about building connections with neighbors and getting people outside and active in their town. So what was that project? How did that come to be? Sure. Yeah. Um, It was actually right, you know, right before I ran for council, um, I had my daughter, she was about one um, when I ran for office and I had always been a runner and I needed to get back into it. And so I got about 10 friends of mine to go and run with me as part of a 5K that was part of training for a half marathon. And some friends of mine who were hilarious decided to have a halfway point, which was in their neighborhood, a historic neighborhood near downtown. And they they had Bud Light and Krispy Kreme is a big thing in the South. And there's a, quite a headquarters of it in Spartanburg in this cool historic building. And so they brought Krispy Kreme donuts. And so halfway through the run, we stopped at their little pit stop and had a a beer and some donuts. And I was like, we need to do this every year. And we had done it, 
I think it was like right around Halloween the first time. So the next year I organized it again um, and associated it with a bar that's known for their Paps Blue Ribbon. And the bar helped donate the beer. We got the donuts donated the second year. And I think we had about 50 people or so. And people wore Halloween costumes, which was really fun. So you'd see, you know, everything from a giant banana um, to someone actually dressed up as a donut. One of my favorite um, costumes were, were these um, kids from the local, one of the local colleges, um, which you actually didn't see the college kids out a lot, strangely in my town, even though there were six colleges. Um, and so it was cool to see them come out and they were dressed up as mall walkers, like old, like old folks with like canes and they had, um, you know, some, some and a fun fanny pack, some, yes. And some fun vintage clothes on and wigs and whatnot. Um, so it was just a fun way to, to get community together. And eventually we started raising money for some local organizations because we got up to about like 250 runners or so. I feel like having kind of zany, fun, low stakes community events, um, is they're like a really important part of culture of a place. Um, because you don't have to pay a lot to, to participate or hopefully you pay nothing. And um, again, I think for me, my passion is connecting people who otherwise might not meet each other. That helps build community. And it's, you know, more important than ever, I feel like right now to focus on those kinds of things. And hopefully this pandemic will pass and we can even more easily do those kinds of events again. So, yeah. So let's turn to your Urban 3 work. Um, First of all, for people that might not be super familiar, you know, what is Urban 3? What's your mission and your focus? And then what do you do at the organization? Sure. Um, So our mission at Urban 3, we actually, it's funny, we, you know, we just had um, this um, retreat with our team last week, which was really invigorating. We have about 12 people that, that work with us. Um, so we, we revisited, and Rachel was there too, which was really cool. And we re- revisited our mission statement. Our mission statement is we help um, communities of all sizes understand the relationship between land use, design, and tax policy, which sounds a little bit boring, but really what it means is, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand the connection between the types of buildings, where they are, the types of streets, where they are in their community, and that connection to their city budget and what their their city is able to financially afford um, and and create for their citizens. Um, you know, when you see that new, you know, Sonic Burger out on the the strode at the exterior, you know, exterior um, areas of your city. Like a lot of people see that as a place, great, I'm going to go get a burger, but they don't understand that that kind of land use is is detrimental to their overall, um, the overall fiscal health of their place. So we make maps um, and tell stories. And, you know, when I was on council, we really, um, you know, we had things like an annexation come before our, our council. And it seemed like a great idea at the time because as a, um, a city, a small city in the South that hadn't grown in decades, adding new people to your city seemed like a great idea. And I have a master's in city planning. And I was like, that sounds like a great idea, you know, and we had um, consultants that came and presented the numbers. And, um, you know, I wish that I'd had the kind of uh, visualizations that, that Urban 3 does to make those kinds of decisions 
because it, you know, I, I really didn't have that kind of financial literacy, even as a person who had studied city planning, much less, you know, the gentleman sitting next to me who sells cars for a living. So we really think about our work as information equity. So how can we make really complex um, economic concepts and, and land use concepts really simple so that my eighth grader could understand her community and its, its economic landscape. What is your role at Urban 3? Yeah, I'm the, the chief operating officer, which sounds really fancy, but it just means that I kind of make sure the company runs. When I started with Urban 3, we had um, about three and a half employees or so. Um, and like I said, we're up to about 12 now and probably hiring some more soon. You know, I started out kind of building systems of, you know, how do we run this business? And I'm able to speak with city councilors, with um, city councils, with, um, you know, city managers, economic development directors, planning directors, um, with the, with the kind of the understanding and knowledge and background that I have and understand from them, you know, what are their pain points in their community? How can we help them do their job better with, with more transparent information? And so I'm on, kind of on the front end of our projects with um, talking um, to potential clients, most of whom are city and county governments. And then I do our hiring and a lot, a lot of other things that are prob- probably too boring to talk about in a podcast, but that are important to make a business run. Yeah. What are some of the projects you all are working on right now that you are most excited about? You know, we have a really interesting one that I haven't had a chance to tell you about, actually, that we um, we won this week um, with a city in Monterey, California. It's a really interesting project. So they have an old army base that was given to the city by the army, and it's about 1,400 acres. And they're going to create something called a community facilities district, um, which is very strong Townsian, actually. So they're going to be developing a whole new community on this, this vacant land. And we're going to help them come up with a um, ongoing fee structure so that every parcel on their tax bill each year will cover their costs in the long term. And so we're going to kind of do the math behind that so that um, they can create this this taxations, kind of a special taxing district. And it sounds really geeky, but what it means is over time in the next 25, 30 years, when the, you know, the fifth or sixth owners of that house move in, their roads are going to be paved. Their um, landscape is going to be maintained. Their lighting is going to be new and, um, and still work. So I th- that's really exciting to me. Um, we won a project last week um, with the, the city of Atlanta. Um, we're helping them understand what the value of their publicly owned land is and how they might be able to, um, working with partners, um, leverage that land to meet some of their council's goals around affordable housing, um, around active transportation. So helping them really understand their real estate portfolio better. I'm pretty excited about, about that one. Um, and then let's see, um, there's another really interesting one that we're doing in Snohomish County, uh, Washington, which is our first project in Washington state. And they have a housing authority there that's really concerned, like, you know, so many places about affordable housing. I think the average home price in, you know, the greater Seattle region, which is where they are, is around $800,000. And so we're modeling out their, um, you know, their property and sales tax values, and then helping the communities within the county 
um, understand, you know, what are the places that um, we should be locating, you know, new housing and, um, and how can we make the most of the real estate that we have in the county. And then um, we're potentially hoping we'll get this joint grant uh, to study, yeah, tax assessment issues uh, and equity issues in the Asheville region. Yeah, we should find out about that soon. Um, We at Urban 3 are definitely, I mean, I know I am, Joe is, and pretty much everyone that works for us, we're kind of activists at heart. And we really care a lot about Asheville and Buncombe County, where we're located. Um, And even though we don't do work here, um, typically, we care about our community. And so we had a Every year, or sorry, every four years, um, the county here reassesses properties, and your, you know, typically your property bill goes up. For most people, that's the case, um, and to help pay for city or city and county services. So that happened this year in January, and um, the reassessment came out. And Joe, actually, our principal, um, was looking at his and just wanted to start comparing. Well, you know, I mean, this is kind of who he is. Let me look at the value of my property and then understand it in the context of, you know, the larger community. That's that's what we do in our work. Um, and so he noticed that um, his neighbor, his property had actually increased several percentages above Joe's own property, um, even though no improvements had been made to it. And, and Joe's property is actually a duplex and his neighbor's isn't. So you'd think multifamily would be more valuable, um, but it wasn't. And so we just started to look more broadly at the data countywide. And we found, you know, and this had come out in the New York Times as well. Someone had done an analysis really just showing um, it's called the J curve. So it kind of shows how, um, you know, the the less valuable your property is, you know, the more you're getting dinged in terms of higher reassessment costs and what are those impacts on communities of low wealth and communities of color. Um, And so we decided to pull it into Esri into GIS and make maps about it um, in 3D, which is um, what we love to do. And that analysis really revealed that that in Buncombe County, there were incredibly uneven results about which neighborhoods and which areas were increasing in their assessment and which were either decreasing or really increasing at a low rate. Really inevitably across the board, communities that have been redlined, communities of color, communities of low wealth, the percentage of increase um, of their reassessment on their properties is much higher, um, leaps and bounds in certain cases. Um, so we started to dig deeper and work with the Racial Justice Coalition here in Asheville and advocate to our county commissioners. And we did get some traction in the county, did put a, a program in place last month, actually, to do some tax rebates for some homeowners that can, they have to actually prove that, you know, they're of a certain income and they've been in their house for a certain period of time to get a rebate, um, which is not good enough for us. So that is one of the reasons why we're working with you all um, to on a larger grant to be able to dive deeper into this work and um, look across the region and really bring those stories and that information forward to the public. So hopefully we can get some, some policy change um, around taxation. And particularly, we learned something entirely new in this process. Um, and I, I, again, I know this is getting pretty geeky, but there are these things called tax neighborhoods, which is something that, you know, we work with parcel data, with assessment data on a daily basis at Urban 3. And, 
And we get, you know, all that information from the county assessors that we work with and all over the country and even in, in other countries. And we've never heard of this concept of tax neighborhoods. And it's this, these very arbitrary lines that are drawn by assessors um, that really impact people's lives. And in some cases, you know, you'll have one house that's a tax neighborhood. We really want to kind of uncover and create more transparency around this data to, you know, hopefully create more equity um, in, a, in the assessment process. So um, again, it's, you know, you can get, it can get kind of myopic, but what it translates to is, you know, money in people's pockets or not, um, particularly um, in the communities that really need it most. So. Yeah. Crossing our fingers that that grant goes through and definitely you all will be hearing about it on the Strong Towns website in future articles and probably podcasts and more um, if that if that works out for us. Yeah, fingers crossed. Kate, to close this out, what advice would you offer for others that might be inspired by this conversation and want to like take a step to help build community, maybe start an event, or maybe even run for office? What's like a good first step or way to way to start moving in the direction of some of the action that you've taken? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. I think um, the advice I'd give is, you know, think about the things that you care about, that you like. So for me, that was, you know, I really loved, I love biking. I loved, um, you know, art, public art. And so, you know, I found my way into doing these different events through the things that I was already passionate about and found groups in my community um, who are already doing that work like nonprofit that focused on active living. I went and volunteered with them and got to know them. That's a great first step is getting, who are the other people in your community that are, you know, passionate about the issues that you're passionate about, find those people. Then, you know, that, that's a great way to, to start out instead of just being a lonely Island. Um, and then in terms of, you know, running for office, I, for me, someone asked me, um, I still remember who it is. He asked me to run for office. He was like, you should do this. And I think that, um, you know, if you see someone in your community that you think would be a great advocate for you and the things you care about, ask them. Um, if that's not you, ask them. If, if you see someone running for office and, and their platform sounds like something that, are, you know, you really care about, volunteer for them. I can't tell you how many people walked door to door with me in August um, in September in South Carolina, which is really hot, um, and told their neighbors about me and helped me win votes. Um, and that didn't cost them anything, um, but their time, and, which is super valuable. So volunteer for campaigns. Um, and then finally, I'd say, you know, and it sounds, it can sound a little boring, but, you know, tune into what your planning commission is talking about. Tune into what your council's talking about. And right now, our council is virtual um, and our, our commissions are virtual because of the pandemic. And it's actually been easier for me to call in and make public comment about things because I don't have to leave my house and I have a child. You know, lots of people are busy, aren't able to, to be able to go in person. So, yeah, I, I'd encourage folks to do that as well. Um, and, I, and I do want to put in one more plug for how the pandemic has changed public involvement um, for the better in, in some cases. And we've seen that with our clients and planning processes. I really hope that cities, if any city government folks are listening out there, 
keep that option for folks to participate from from um, a virtual place because I think it creates it's it's better for democracy. It creates more opportunity for many more voices to be a part of the conversation. Unfortunately, our county and city they they went not virtual anymore right before Delta, and they cut off all the um, all the virtual comment opportunities. So I think when they go back to in person, we won't be able to you know we won't be able to have virtual anymore, and I think that's too bad. So. I just want to give a plug out there for that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for sharing about your life and your adventures and the important work that you're doing, especially with Urban 3. And I will make sure to share links to the Urban 3 website and some of the other stuff that you talked about today with everyone listening. So thanks for joining me. Uh, Thanks, Rachel. I really appreciate it. All right. You guys have been hearing me say this for several weeks now, but the release date of Chuck's new book is very close now. September 8th is just a few days away. Um, We're super excited. If you still haven't pre-ordered the book, you can do that at confessions.engineer. Still got a few days to get those special pre-order bonuses. Um, But I also wanted to let you know that we're having a little book launch kickoff party where there will be trivia, there will be prizes, there will be a chance to ask questions of the author, there will be office references to the launch party, lunch party, lunch party moment. If you know that reference, hit me up. But that launch kickoff event is happening September 7th at 7 p.m. Central. And the whole Strong Towns team will be there. We would love to have you join us. I will put a link to sign up in the show notes. It's going to be on Zoom, super chill. You can also go to strongtowns.org slash events to find that event listing and sign up. And again, if you want to pre-order the book, confessions.engineer. We really encourage you also to uh, think about pre-ordering from your local bookstore. That's super important, super valuable. Finally, I wanted to let you know about something I just started doing, which is posting an episode discussion forum in the Strong Towns Facebook group. I've seen other podcasts that I like doing this where, you know, they have a Facebook group for patrons or whatever, and they just share a link to the recent episode, and then people can discuss that episode in the comments. So I've started doing that in our Strong Towns Facebook group. If you're not a member of that group yet, um, it's open to everyone. Just search Strong Towns Facebook group. Um, you'll find it and we will let you in. And then, yeah, I would love to like hear your feedback in the comments in that Facebook group. Thank you to our Strong Towns members. I say that every week and it is true every week. You guys make all of this happen. Um, the Strong Towns movement wouldn't be possible without our thousands of supporting members all across the country, whether they're giving $5 a month or $2,000 a year, every dollar is really helpful. I'm excited about what we're planning for the coming year and any support that you can give is really going to help make that possible and help make things like this show possible. So head to strongtowns.org membership if you're not a member yet. And if you are, just thank you so much. We love you guys. All right. We will see you back here next week on the next episode of the show. Take care, everybody. Thank you.